Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I'm Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax in the squeaky chair. <laughs> and, and a very, uh, very harried, angry David Bax. Yeah. Because uh, you're, the, you're, the, you're the dad here. You're, I guess, yeah. Well, we got a, a room full of kids running yeah. around. Well, I'm also having a bad day, but let's not talk about that on Indeed. the podcast. Indeed. Um, let's talk about by whom this, pod, this podcast is brought to our listeners. Uh, okay yeah all right yeah. we got there good for you uh this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent international and classic films every day movies curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it that means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy all for only 8.99 a month plus when you use their mobile apps you can down you can download films to watch offline currently available on Mubi is lee yang's blind mountain Following Mubi's uh, Chinese independent documentary series, uh, let's say it comes this uh, similarly politically impassioned reckoning with human trafficking in modern China. Uh, it is not an easy watch, uh, but it is a necessary, nuanced expression of dissent against the powers that be, guided by a remarkably humanist lens. So you can check that out at Mubi, and there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. Uh, you can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship to redeem now, or you can go to BattleshipPretension.com and click on the Mubi ad on the left-hand side. And just wanted to put this out there that uh, Mubi continues to exist. It doesn't need some bullshit petition to come <laughs> back. It just is. It doesn't need Bill Hader. Exactly. Toro rallying behind right. it. It Movie just has soldiers on. exactly. It's going to be just fine. Okay. Uh, okay. By the way, Filmstruck did sponsor like multiple Comic Con meetups for us. We should probably not dance on their grave. Perhaps <laughs> if they had sponsored the show, maybe more people would know about them. Look, the point is, it's not about uh, market failure. We are talking about movie and their eternal flame okay uh-huh. but anyway By the way, I, I have not seen blind mountain okay but i have seen blind shaft okay which when you're talking about it, i was like wait is that that movie and so i like googled it real quick and i was like no blind shaft which is by the same director oh okay i guess he has a it's got a thing for blind a, things yeah yeah it's like a jeremy saunier in colors thing you know it's true yeah yeah does he he has one coming out right but, uh hold the dark already came out oh that's it? right that's right i, I forgot about that out. I'm looking at our guests. They don't know. They're not paying attention to the. Okay, one of them is nodding. Too uh, impassioned. Uh, I feel like you're. You just don't know. But you're affirming. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, uh, so this episode is also brought to you by the Dice Enthusiasts Presents podcast, a new series based around a board game that four roommates played for the entirety of 2017. During that year, they were faced with problems like drug dealers moving in with them, mental breakdowns, infidelity, and a suicide attempt. A surprisingly personal podcast, Dice Enthusiasts Presents, is a prime example of life happening while you're making other plans or trying to play a game. Go to DiceEnthusiasts.com or click on the ad at battleshippretension.com to listen. Uh, and I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Tyler, do you know what I listen to today? What's that? This is up your alley. Okay. Because I know you're a big fan of this band. And I realized that at 36 years old, I feel like I've absorbed this, like... What's the word people use? Like, uh, I don't know what you're trying to say. Anyway, just through the culture of resort, I know some of the songs, but I realized I don't think I've ever sat down 
and listen to The Wall oh, for okay. me then. All right. But I've seen the movie, so like that counts, right? Mm. But no. Okay. No. So I actually listened, while I was at work today, I listened to all the hour and a half of The Wall. And I was That's like, a, that is going to inform your day. Yeah. Uh, the mood I don't know. Of your day. I like Pink Floyd, but I think I like, like, uh, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. I think the wall is like, I think I kind of realized like, all right, I know the songs that I know for a reason. And the rest, <laughs> there's a lot, I feel like yeah. a filler in the wall. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's still entertaining, but yeah, there are the definite songs. Then there are these sort of transitional bits of music that are yeah. still, that I think are still very effective, but they are effective in the context of the entire album. Yeah. As but opposed to like, to comfortably tour, numb. right. Uh, I went to, we were going to go together and I can't remember what I had something come up. That I, I did not go. Unfortunately, okay. I, in retrospect, I wish that I had, yeah. um, I did see Roger Waters, uh, at desert trip, but he was right. performing various, uh, Pink Floyd songs, but he, there was a big, did he do a big oh, he chunk did of, Floyd, of he didn't do solo stuff? Like, uh, not that I'm aware of the song that he wrote for the legend of 1900. <laughs> not that <laughs> do you I remember that movie. I do remember the Roth? movie, but, uh, no, yeah. I don't think so. He wrote a very bad song. Oh, that reminds me. We'll get back to the ad in a second. Um, look, everyone loves the Americans. It just ended, but there's an Americans uh, episodes in season two mm-hmm. that has an original song by, I want to say it's Pete Townsend. Okay. And I feel like what happened was Pete Townsend was like, Hey, I'm a fan of your show. Let me write you a song. And they were probably like, Oh fuck, this would be great. Like yeah. an original Pete Townsend song for the show. It's terrible. Yeah. And yet they like had to use it. And so my wife and I watched that. Like it's the only American episode she's watched. There's yeah. a reason she's never watched another one. Cause she associates that show with this song. Now we watched it once. We will sing this song to each other sometimes to make each other laugh. It's so bad that we remember, uh, we remember how the, how the, the song goes. It is. Uh, oh, how, how, don't, oh, I was not going to don't sing it, but no. uh, lyric wise, what, how does it go? No, the, well, the main, like each, verse ends with the line and it must be done and so that, that's what we we would just sort of sing that to each other that also uh, by the way seems very roger waters-esque uh, uh certainly yeah, um, yeah. and i do remember that at the at uh his performance in desert trip it was um it was October 2016, so you know, the, of course, he had very strong political opinions. Um, Which way is he going? <laughs> uh, he was really in favor of Jill Stein. So, um, but it was really funny the uh, just to hear like how anti-authoritarian like the Desert Trip crowd was. Like at one point, you know, there's the song "Mother" from the Wall. It goes, "Mother, should I trust the government?" And everyone and and then like the the screen behind him says like fuck no and then like all the all the people like woo and part of me is like you guys are going to qualify for social security soon you better start trusting the government because um, yeah. it's going to be on your side but uh, so anyway you can listen to all the Roger Waters and Pete Townsend you want uh, on your tweakedaudio.com earbuds because mm-hmm. it's all going to sound great. Um, and they're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So, I'm going to bring out our guests because we have a fun topic to get to, but there's also something in the news that I want to talk about oh, that you which, just reminded me of. Which one? Which part? Um, so, uh, no, none, none of the terrible, terrible parts. Okay. Or the very good things. Some very good things happened this week, too. Sure. Um, uh, but our guests uh, are... They've been on the show before. Um, it's been too long in both cases. Mm-hmm. Well, Jake was on the uh, commentary, so I feel like I just saw you. But uh, Kristen Sales and Jake Bart, welcome back to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. <laughs> that word you were thinking of, I believe it was osmosis. Osmosis yes. is the word. Oh, like osmosis Jones. Yes, the very same. Um, yeah. Yes. Which also does feature a song by Roger Waters. <laughs> Every word is a movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Osmosis so no. Jones, it must be done. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, the sequel. Are you guys Americans fans? That wasn't what I was going to ask. Um, I've, if we talk about Kerry Russell, Jake's going to have to leave the yeah. room. So it, it is it is a little warm in here, and yeah. it just got a little warmer. I'll say um, I've never seen an episode. I've, okay. I've seen the first season, and I am continuing to watch it. It's, okay. it's very good. Um, no, the thing I want to talk about, uh, Jason Bloom getting yes <laughs> getting booed off the stage yeah for for making anti-trump comments at the israeli film festival here in los angeles the night yeah do you guys follow are you i did see that did yes. you guys see this i don't know what any of these words are <laughs> <laughs> do you know who jason oh it's blum it's isn't it blum it's blumhouse that yeah. guy yeah. blumhouse guy he was being given like an honorary thing mm-hmm. uh, and it was i think it was on election night on tuesday mm-hmm. right yeah so he was saying some political stuff and some anti-Trump stuff, and uh, he got booed like crazy and ended up being escorted off the stage. Yeah. The, now, I got, because I'm a member of the cinematic press, I got a press release from the Israeli Film Festival <laughs> saying we did not force him off stage. The, there were audience members approaching the podium and we had him removed for security reasons. I don't know if that's oh. true, if that's covering them, covering their asses, but that is, their, that's their story. Yeah. Uh, how crazy is that? You think it's in Los Angeles, a safe space. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I like how you combine the politics with Israeli middle Eastern uh-huh, issues. Yeah. But I mean, we'd like to think that Los Angeles is this liberal enclave, but obviously there is a certain, uh, a certain amount of conservative, uh, thought in the Jewish community that is very in favor of what Trump is doing in Israel. Right. So sure, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. I'm not, I'm not surprised at yeah. all. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll bet Jason Blum was surprised. Though. I'll bet he thought. I don't think oh, he thought it was like, like really? I'm going to towards this place. I'll bet he thought like this was like being a Here Golden Globes go. or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to get a standing ovation by talking shit about Trump. And God. I mean, know your audience, man. I don't. I, maybe he just decided to do it anyway because he thought it was the right thing to do. But I, right. I'm not surprised. As you as you were describing it, because yeah, I did I did read that article and. Uh, and it got me thinking that wouldn't it be interesting if somebody was not booed off stage, but they were ugh 
off stage. <laughs> so like the entire crowd just collectively goes, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he goes, Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, but yeah, that is, uh, now what, why do you delight so much in that? Like, why is that to you? Good news? Because the narrative, I don't know if I said it was good news. Um, well, it wasn't the sad stuff. It, yeah. There wasn't the very bad stuff mm. that was happened this week. Um, no, I think because of the narrative that I have written of him being being confident, Kristen disagrees with me. She thinks it was a knowingly ballsy move. I'm saying I just like I, it's comedic to me to imagine him being like strutting up to the stage, oh, yeah. like I'm about to I'm about to bask it. I'm yeah. about to yeah. soak. Here in. I am to get all this praise. <laughs> I, I think it's it's really a psyop um, based <laughs> in the fact that he took all that heat for not being able to apparently find a woman filmmaker. Right. Um, oh, you know, because you, you need to hunt. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> um, the, apparently, he couldn't find a female filmmaker, but now he's like. The progressive yeah he's like mr woke now yeah woke house (laughs) (laughs) they should change it to that they should they should yeah jason if you're listening oh this is fun i'm so i'm so glad we have you guys on the show uh listeners know probably have guessed why we have you on the show if they listened to last week's episode Mm. because we came up with the idea for this week's episode on last week's episode and undoubtedly they were listening and they thought gosh i wonder who they're gonna get they heard one of the names and thought, damn. And then the other, like, yeah, all right, that's fine. I'll let you guys decide. I'll let the listener okay. decide who uh, who of our guests I have an intense dislike for. So um, uh, Tyler and I were talking about it. We got here in a weird roundabout way from the end of the L.A. Film Festival. Yeah. I'm not going to go through all that again. The listeners heard it. But we were talking about the idea of film fandom as a community. And Tyler and I... I know I am. I tend to not only not be a part of that community. I tend to also be very skeptical in general. I'm, you know, sort of reflexively not a joiner um, in general. Um, and I, uh, uh, and so I, I think Tyler and I wanted to have some people on who have more experience, if not necessarily. Yeah more positivity about yeah. the community. Why, I'm looking at why are you looking at me? Why are you looking at me? I'm looking at our guest who was a former member of film Twitter. <laughs> um, uh, but I remember, I, you know, I, I started, I remember the last year about, about this time, um, our collective friend, Scott, uh, editor at large of battleship retention, Scott and I, he and I were, uh, I uh, about the, the AFI film fest. And I was like, Oh, I'm really looking forward to this movie, April's Daughter. Or April's Daughters is weirdly the Spanish language translation. Hmm. I don't know why they made it. She has multiple daughters in the movie. I'm not sure why they, uh, the English language one made it singular. But anyway, I was like, oh, I'm looking forward to this movie, April's Daughter. I like the director. He made this movie after Lucia. And Scott was like, oh, yeah, film Twitter hates that guy. And I spent like the rest of the week <laughs> just so angry about like oh so film twitter has just come to a fucking consensus huh yeah like oh or, or am i not allowed to like this guy? i got i got like disproportionately bothered and i think that's the thing that i tend to be skeptical about in communities is that they come to decisions together like and what's we, more is you you were upset you got upset at his characterization. It, yeah, could, be I wasn't mad com- at it could be completely his interpretation oh, of right. film Twitter's uh, reaction to this filmmaker. But yeah. I do. It's it is interesting. Yeah. And, and I think I, mean, I like I kind of 
I kind of joke about it when a celebrity is like on the outs, I'll say on this podcast, like, oh, we don't like Matt Damon anymore. Right. You know, because I'm saying it half jokingly, but there is, I do, I do, I do really hate that feeling of like the, of the, I, I guess the mob mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think I maybe to my own detriment tend to overlook the positive things about a community of film lovers and focus on the, the negative, uh, outputs. So, uh, what do you guys feel about, do you consider yourselves part of a community of film lovers or cinephiles or whatever? Well, I have some bad news for you, David. You just qualified for film Twitter by being angry about film Twitter. Okay. Huh. So okay. Through, through the, All I right. guess, is that the transitive property? Probably not. I don't know. Yeah. But you are now, you, you are now officially part of film Twitter. I'll wait. Cause the, you're mad. You're mad online. Oh, it's a certificate. <laughs> I am mad online, but you understand we've been doing this podcast 11 years. That's right. Almost 12 years. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, years maybe film Twitter is part of the fleet. Yeah. What do you think of that? <laughs> yeah, that's it. We started. Film yeah. Twitter. <laughs> oh God. What a terrible. <laughs> So we, so we know who to blame. It's like typhoid Mary over here. <laughs> patient, patient zero. Um, I think if I recall correctly, and I don't, I don't know if I'm getting the details right, but I think the guy who did after Lucia is actually just like an asshole. So that's why people hate him. Oh, okay. Cause I thought it was that he made that English language movie with Tim Roth that everyone hated. No, Chronic. I think he, there was some sort of mini scandal or something about him going after like a review of one of his films, mm. going after someone personally. And I hope that this is the case. If it's not, if I'm, I'm incorrect, I apologize. But okay. I do remember that happening cause he was on Twitter at the time, the director or whatever. Oh, okay. And then it came out that he was kind of like, kind of, harassing people personally a little bit over his films mm. and so people kind of decided to be like this guy's not cool see and i was so quick to blame film twitter i didn't stop to like I, learn yeah, that about him I, yeah I, if i recall correctly i think that is what happened but um so in this case it may have been uh, an instance of him kind of uh showing his ass online and then people yeah. saying like "Ooh, actually we're real people and we don't appreciate this you know regardless of how your films are <laughs> Which I don't, I don't think I've maybe seen after Lucia, and that's it. So, although, and okay, having not uh, seen any of these tweets, because as much as David is not involved in film Twitter, he's exponentially more involved than I am. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but, but here's the thing: in the film world, mm, I don't follow anyone on Twitter that I have not met in person. Oh, okay. That's probably a good call. That is a rule because otherwise I start to become a part of film Twitter. And they have to be, these are my film friends that I follow on Twitter, but I don't follow just anyone. Whereas hockey, I follow everyone. I'm very much a part of hockey Twitter. Does hockey Twitter actually exist? Oh, is it God, is yes. it called that? Uh, yeah, everything okay. has a Twitter. Wait a minute. Well, how okay. have we not talked about Gritty yet? Gritty oh, is yeah. the, I'm sorry. I'm going to hijack this podcast. Yeah, we can make gritty. a Gritty podcast. No, I just, yeah, because I, you know, over the sort of hiatus or whatever, when I was like off Twitter and deleted my Twitter and like wasn't into movies at all, I got really into baseball. And so the, really the only reason that I reactivated Twitter because I wanted to be part of Dodgers Twitter during uh-huh. the playoffs. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to follow all the, refollow all these Dodgers Twitter. And then I was like, well, I guess I used to follow my friends and then here I am back in, in film <laughs> sort of I mean I'm not I'm only adding like you I'm only adding people that I actually know or like news sources that I want to get you right, know, news right. from um, but uh, yeah I, I don't think I'm on film Twitter anymore, but I do have the ghosts of film Twitter follow me. Canon is that you are off film. It is. I am officially off film, but you know, the but exception proves the rule, I guess. Do you get a chip? 
a chip in my 100 days sober yeah. from film? No, I've I've already I've obviously broken my sobriety. I watched a movie last night. I mean, I'm not I'm not perfect. But how's it look? I, this I'm still on gritty. I want to talk about gritty. Okay, Twitter. sure. Yeah, no, I love gritty. Twitter has. Uh, it has over. It has gone outside of hockey now. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's socialism. Twitter DSA has adopted Gritty as well, the, the workers' representative. But that's also because doesn't he kind of look like one of the hosts of one of those insufferable podcasts? I don't know what the narrative. I don't know what the origin is of okay. DSA Gritty. I just know I love it. <laughs> um, I know that one of my very best friends in the world made a homemade gritty costume for oh, Halloween geez. and she let me try on the mask and it was gorgeous. <laughs> um, I just love gritty. He came to us at a time when we needed him mm-hmm. uh-huh. and he's been the hero that Gotham deserves so far. Uh-huh. This year. So um, <laughs> gritty is the only good thing about 2018 so far. Uh, well, you know what? Uh, for someone, as someone who is uh, actually reads, uh, actually is a part of hockey Twitter and listens to hockey podcasts constantly. One of the great off, uh, like uh, uh, side products of gritty is that stupid like hockey commentators can now have to use the word gritty less because it's associated with the mascot. Fantastic. Whereas it used to be just the, just the go-to like, like I like, it's usually like guys who played the game and are now yeah. commentators being like, I like that guy. He's gritty. Yeah. And it just, it doesn't mean anything. He's a gritty it's player. Just, yeah. Yeah. And it's, and I think that's why gritty became the name of a, Hockey mascot, but I love that now. That's very. Have to use that's the very good. Is they have yeah. to? They have to Gritty use the thesaurus now. Yeah. yeah, he is. I had look. I was looking up the gritty Twitter account before you used the word mascot, and so imagine my surprise <laughs> when I when I was faced with this bright orange, weird looking thing, and then you said mascot. I was like, okay, I wish I'd known that before I uh, looked this up. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah. There's yeah. there's also the wonderful sort of coincidence or, or side meme of uh, Justin Turner also being gritty, like Justin Turner from the Dodgers being like a human gritty. And so I don't know how that started either. I think everybody was just like, hey, gritty. And so they would just, I don't know. I mean, he has so many nicknames, but uh, for some reason, gritty became part of Dodgers Twitter because Justin Turner has a big orange beard. I don't That's even great. know, but it was wonderful. So what I was going to say oh, before oh yeah. things went... Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that sidebar. I don't know if we were ever really on the rails, but uh, <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> what I was going to say is the director that you're that you're talking about and the way you phrased it was he realized that as he was going after like critics that didn't like his movie or whatever, they're like, oh, well, we're, we're people as well. But I think one of my issues with... To me, like the negative stereotype, and I think it is a stereotype, and I don't think it's necessarily true, but it is true occasionally. Um, the stereotype of the internet critic is that they are very trollish uh, and they are very smarmy and they will be dismissive, whether it be in their reviews or on Twitter of people like they don't see the directors and actors that they are reviewing as people either. And so I think that's, that tends to be why I am not my, my limited interaction with film Twitter has yielded um, or has, it's confirmed my decision to not really be a part of it. i sometimes would find out about interesting movies, but Chances are I was going to find out about them anyway. And 
I didn't, and, and the tone of film Twitter was just something that I, that was making me angry partially in the same way, as strange as it may sound in the same way that I'm not part of Christian Twitter either, because there's a tone there. And in both sen- in both cases, like this is what I'm trying not to be. Oh yeah. And so I'm, while it's maybe good to see what that is so that you can know what to avoid. It also was really having an impact on my mood. And so I uh, needed to, to move away from that. So yeah. I do think that there's, any community, anytime, David, I think you were starting to head in this direction. Like anytime people get together and they start making a decision as one, I feel like anytime that happens, the decision is going to be simpler right. than yeah. Yeah. simpler and probably more, um, more stupidly expressed than by an individual. And yeah. we started to talk about that last. Yeah, I mean, last week. I mean, when film, I, I don't want to make this episode about film Twitter only. Right. I want to talk about other aspects of community, but I do think when film Twitter comes to a consensus about a movie, it tends to be uh, just the middle of the Venn diagram, mm-hmm. you know, and all the other stuff gets kind of. Uh, uh, shaved off, or maybe they lean towards the hotter take, or sure. whatever. Um, but I don't just want to talk about the negative, and I do want to talk about positive things about being a part of a community. You guys, what are they? I don't well, know. <laughs> I, I just, I guess there. Are yeah, we'll, two, we'll, we'll talk to Smiley over here. Yeah, what do you, I, what I do guess you there are two broader points that I just want to um, inject into kind of what we're talking about here. And one thing is. Uh, even as a term used on Twitter, film Twitter doesn't really mean anything. I mean, because we're talking about a community or quote a quote-unquote community that can somehow include sort of the bloody disgustings, the badass digests, the um, bird movies. like a decade. Whatever. <laughs> I, my point is, I was never reading those. Yeah. Right? I'm part of film Twitter. Likewise, they are part of film Twitter. But like, it, it, right. it includes... So like, MCU fans and people attending the Locarno Film Festival both consider themselves it, film Twitter but have almost nothing to yeah. do with it. And them. almost yes. never interact because of course that's one of uh i guess the the features and one of the drawbacks of sort of tailoring your online community is Mm -hmm. you can sort of filter out some noise and only cater to certain things you want to see um the other thing is uh I found, at least uh, engaging on Twitter, there is also the possibility for uh, sort of unheralded uh, movies to sort of gain a, a low a low level following. You know, I was, yeah. I was I was a huge fan of Rules Don't Apply. Yeah, and there's did. like there's like seven or eight other people I follow on Twitter who I know are ride or die rules don't apply five here's the benefit of not being a part of the community if you're like me you live in a world where you can assume everyone loves rules don't apply as much as it deserves to (laughs) be but you you could also come on film twitter and talk about rules don't apply with the people who like to make rules don't apply jokes and it's a wonderful part of your day it is that's the kind of benefit is because what jake's talking about is that Film Twitter is a niche of a niche of a niche, and there are niches within that niche. Uh, it's up its a, own ass, and a lot of a lot of it is just joking around, uh-huh. just just memes, just people like killing time at work, talking about you know posting funny gifs and stuff. Like 
to me, that's a lot of what film Twitter is. And then there's like the nonsense or if there's a terrible take, if some if IndieWire prints something that's ridiculous and then people get no. mad about it. <laughs> uh, no, that would never happen, obviously. That was just an example. But you mean uh, they, do the, it, they do the top 30. No, they're a fantastic publication. There's, uh, a, there's nothing wrong with no, IndieWire so is, is a bastion <laughs> of, of, of indie film. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, there's different levels. And what Jake's saying is that you definitely choose what you want to listen to and who you want to engage with and that is up to you at least on the twitter sphere um part of the reason i deleted my old twitter and reactivated and then just added people i wanted to listen to because i could not go through you know 2500 people and weed out who i didn't want to listen to also i didn't want to like say like hey you suck and i don't want to listen to you anymore um but yeah it's i I, you choose you choose how to use it, the technology, and you choose to engage with what you want to. And uh, just double check and make sure you you don't follow me, so that's good. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, you never you I only tweet you only tweet cut. about hockey. Um, I'm gonna, not enough gritty on gonna, that account. There's not enough gritty content. Um, one, I think, of the benefits, and we can get off of phone Twitter and move on to a different part of the community. But I think one of the important things that film twitter does is bring conversations into the forefront that may not have been there or may not be getting as uh diverse uh, uh input as they would have been otherwise and i'm thinking a lot about what happened um in the entertainment industry in general over the past year in terms of uh, uh scandals in terms of uh kind of getting rid of or exercising these sort of demonic or predatory uh, figures in the industry, not just um, in the studio system, but also in the repertory cinema scene, especially in Los Angeles and everything that happened with Cinefamily, Rest in Piss. And um, I think it was really important to have those people sounding off on Twitter and sharing their stories and kind of collectively coming together to talk about something that is was sort of known but not exposed and working together to expose it and to let people know who didn't know what was going on, let them know that this was happening and to organize and to form alternative uh, communities and, and other groups and stuff in response yeah. uh, to that. And so... Person, and also, and yeah. cover what you said, but each now each one of those people who's had these experiences knows they're not alone or not knows they're yeah they, they find they, each other they talk yeah. about people they talk about what their experiences um when that whole thing was going on uh, last summer last fall i had a lot of people talk to me about various different experiences that they'd have and mm-hmm. there were sort of side um organizations uh formed especially among uh among women to sort of talk about maybe various issues that we've been dealing with and how can we move forward? How can the women who enjoy going to repertory cinema reclaim that space after uh, everything that had happened and where can we find, uh, how can we organize and, and put things on ourselves or influence programming that way? And I understand that that's a very micro niche within the Los Angeles area and within a couple uh, movie theaters, but I think that was I would say a benefit of phone Twitter, but the downside of that is obviously getting extremely burnt out on a never ending cycle of uh, disappointing news where you learn that, you know, there's horrible things happening to people in your community all over the country and the world. So that, and by people you thought you, 
liked or something exactly like that. yeah just yeah. this kind of this and i feel like that sort of uh impotent rage and disappointment um is kind of now the national mood um so i feel like it's a little bit um navel gazing to just say like oh i feel bad because this thing happened in this community but i feel like now everyone kind of <laughs> understands what it's like to just feel like angry all the time mm-hmm. um so i welcome all cis men and all other people to join uh, women and other minority groups and just feeling really angry all the time. And don't, try, tell me what, don't tell me what to do. And, yeah. um. <laughs> and try and trying to make it better. Um, but I did notice that. So that's my only good, not the only good thing, but because uh, I wouldn't have met Jake if, I, if it wasn't for film Twitter. Yeah. So, and now we're real life friends, that's ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Yes, you, it is. You, well, no, you would have met at, through Battleship Retention. That's true. That, yeah, that is true. But we <laughs> we had already met, and I yeah. was already uh, firmly established as the little brother she never wanted to <laughs> the big sister I never asked for. Yeah, that's true. He was stalking me on Twitter, and I was like, "Why is John Ford following me?" And then, yes, yes. and then I realized you were like a real person, and not like a creepy old man from no, the Midwest. No, yeah, not and like. Then a, you were like, not, it was like fine. I mean, I am from the Midwest, but but and you are a creepy old man. But, right. Um, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, I mean, for me personally, it is a community in the sense that I have utilized the online community to actually make Mm -hmm. real life friendships that are like very meaningful to me. And I would recommend that people try to do that and try not to get um, subsumed in the like never ending torrent of discourse, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, and also just people expressing their insane outrage at every little thing, because I think that really like rots your soul so i would try to just get people to focus on like trying to make friends or hanging out or doing something positive well and that's part of i mean you brought up a lot of good points but part of the whole um organizing that you were talking about around cinefamily also highlights the fact that uh as sort of a community or a set of communities film twitter can be very regional and uh unlike Kristen, I actually moved to LA not too many years ago, didn't know a single person, and really it was a great way for me to just get to know people like Kristen and meet them in person and actually be around other people who really cared about movies and who wanted to talk about movies and can talk about other stuff like Gritty. Um, sure. And yeah, I mean, I think as a resource in that way, it is actually, it can do some good. Yeah, it's all about how you, I think, just like any other platform, it's all about how you use it and the attitude that you go in to it with. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, it it would seem that, not that that the word community here uh, should be a dirty word. A community is a very good concept. Um, So I I almost wonder if maybe we should use a a different word, almost groupthink or something like that. But But no, um, because I want, that's the reason I wanted people other than you and me, mm -hmm. a couple of cranks on. (laughs) Jake's kind of a crank too. But um, you've read my Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Was because I don't just want to talk about the negative aspects. Right. If it were just you and me, this would be, it would be be the sourest episode of Battleship Retention, which is saying something. Yeah, I (laughs) definitely, yeah, I definitely have more to say about uh to the extent that such a thing exists uh film facebook i'm actually more a part of like some groups there um not that i am a very active part of it but what i'm going to say is that facebook leads me to believe that film facebook is just like film twitter except a week behind uh, (laughs) 
and there's the fun of not having a character limit. So uh, if somebody's sure, upset, fun. it's all there. <laughs> yeah. But it also means that I can say whatever I want, and I tend to be kind of verbose, um, as we are learning at this exact moment, because I'm not done talking. Uh, so it would appear that like the, the one of the benefits, and maybe it's just one of the benefits in general, is that within a community you do still you find individuals and you find people that you connect with like and i think when pe- if people say oh i feel really connected to the community chances are what they're actually saying is there were a handful of people within the community that i had a personal connection with and the and this community this setting uh, allowed me to find that person and connect with that person. But for the most part, you know, in, in that regard, sorry to bring this up again, but it's sort of like, it's, it's entirely possible to go to a church, even just a, a, a mid-sized church, uh, for years and you actually don't connect with anybody. Like mm-hmm. you, and so you you will feel maybe some sense of connection with the church as a whole, but it's really when you start talking to individual people that you feel like you're actually part of the community. Even like it's not about just being there; it hmm. is about having more personal connections. And so, uh, and I guess in in my experience, again, it's a very limited experience uh, of film Twitter. Uh, that uh, hmm, hmm, that's interesting. Hmm. Uh, yeah, my experience with film Twitter is limited, but my experience with film Facebook is less limited uh, to such an extent that like, I know that there's uh, a guy who uh, named Taylor who writes for a couple other blogs and I've met, and I know him and a, a number of other people through like a, a Facebook group that we're all a part of. And I know that he's moving to California mm-hmm. like as we speak. And so like he has reached out and said, Hey, is anybody want to get coffee or something? I know literally nobody out there except he does know people out here, which right. is me and a few, a few of the other people who said, Oh yeah, I live in Los Angeles. And so I do think that there is, I think, based on film Facebook again to the extent that that exists um, yeah I think I can attest personally to the one-on-one connection that can come out of it but my question then is (laughs) okay there's that has to do with like individual people finding commonality likely not just in movies they like but in experiences and philosophies when it comes to the discussion of film as an art form, my experience with film Facebook has been a not wholly negative one, but one that I do find frustrating because, again, it simplifies and it, and it reduces everything down to we don't like this or we do like that. Right. And I find that not particularly helpful. That was a long no, I think, I th- but sorry. I think you really got to some of the differences in what we're talking about because mm-hmm. I think maybe what you're talking about is what I would call the discourse or sure. like aspect of it. And I think in general, what David's question is, is like, what does constitute a community and can you say that there is a film community? Which I can say, I think there is, and there's sub communities and, right. and groups within that. But I, there's different facets to the community. So you have, you know, the individual connections with you, with you, with you make with the people. You have 
you know, quote unquote, the discourse or whatever you want to talk about in terms of talking about the culture, but also from, I think of cinema going as well, or cinephilia as something that has a a physical space. Mm -hmm. And when people come together in a physical space, that's part of the community. That's the scene. It's like, if you're in the like punk scene or whatever, when you go to a show, it's like, that's the community. That's, that's the community space. And when you go to see a movie, whether it's a repertory house with a lot of people that you see at various screenings, or if you're just going to the multiplex with friends, or even if maybe there's a new release that a lot of people that you know, or a lot of people in your Facebook group have seen or on Twitter have seen, and then you all have kind of reactions to that separately, but then you can get together and talk about it. That's a communal space. I think that's what we're talking about when we talk about the film community. Well, yeah. And it's also, uh, you're, you're right, it is a space, and you can engage with it even if you're in, you know, Bozeman, Montana, because if something plays in rep at the Metrograph on, mm-hmm. you know, October 20th, you can, you used to be able to find it on Filmstruck, or, you know, go to your library, you can take a look at that movie and you can engage in the conversation. Right. If there's a retrospective that's happening yeah. and maybe you hear about it, it's happening in New York and you hear about it and you say, Oh, I'm really interested. And you're able to find those films. You can engage in that conversation at the same time. It's happening in New York and, without being there. Yeah. And that's one of the, one of the things that I think is, I don't know, exciting. Um, I, I guess exciting about, you know, engaging uh, on Twitter in in film Twitter um, is that it isn't, it isn't constrained to, oh, A Star is Born came out two weeks ago. Right. We're going to be talking about A Star is Born for a month, although we did kind of. A lot of people did talk yeah. about A Star is Born for a, uh, for a month. But there is that, that I guess, diversity of options there. Mm-hmm. If anybody yeah. would like to talk about the Nutcracker and the Four Realms, I'm more than happy <laughs> oh, to oh, do so. You don't even Sorry. know. Four Realms in this economy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Nutcracker, eh? Realms? <laughs> Holy shit. I've, I've literally been making Nutcracker in the Four Realms jokes for like three weeks. And that's why Film Twitter is so good, because anytime a ridiculous movie title comes out, people will just riff on it like all day. And then if you see jokes, more jokes come. So if you're having a really slow day at work or you're just having a crappy day in general, mm-hmm. if you just want to log on to Film Twitter and read a lot of Four <laughs> Realms jokes, they're there for you. And that's, wow. that's kind of nice. That's exciting. I, I had no idea. Yeah, perf- you're missing out. A perfect example. I don't know when the last time anyone has thought about the witches of Eastwick is. It's, uh, I mean, the last time. Yeah, but yeah, there was a meme going around uh, around Twitter. Yeah, and I was like, you know what? It's uh, one taught me uh, love, love. One taught, one taught me patience. patience one, one taught me pain. pain. I think it's the Ariana, Ariana Grande. That, I know that. I don't yeah. know the witches of Eastwick song. I, okay, I but I, yeah, but I, 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 but I was it. like. Well, okay, threes. Oh, I know what I'll do. Michelle Pfeiffer, Susan Sarandon, and Cher in The Witches of Eastwood. There you go. Perfect. Boom. Slot it in. Immediately, I get Kristen in my mentions. I get uh, Cam Collins okay, in so my she mentions. you. Yes. Huh. Not, not me. Yeah. I, look, do you want uh, me to turn my phone on? I will follow you right oh, now. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm, I don't need your I'm, chair. I'm Chris you don't, also, you don't want to follow him. It's very depressing. <laughs> I have to, but you don't have to. Okay. Um, but now, when you're doing that, 
you picked the three of them. Mm-hmm. Did you just put them in any order? Uh, you actually th- oh, think about who taught you well, love and I, I, and I did because I, I needed to find a picture where Michelle Pfeiffer was all the way on the left teaching me love because I am in love with Michelle Pfeiffer. That's, uh-huh. that's sure. part of my Twitter brand. Um, huh. Thirst for hotties of the 80s. So that's 100% your brand. Yeah. It's like... like Guys being dudes, westerns. Yes. And just like horny for like ladies who are in their 60s now. <laughs> and using yes. words like hottie. Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah I'm, On my I'm, show. I'm raising the discourse here. Okay. Do you think Diane Lane listens to this podcast? Oh, that one I said. Uh, yeah. Diane, yeah, are you, Diane, are you single? <laughs> uh, yeah, motion carried. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of Michelle Pfeiffer as an actress. Well, yeah, wow. I mean, I, I, yes, I don't mean to. It's getting spicy. To disregard their their talents. They are, they are. No, they're very talented. Yeah. But also hot. Yeah. <laughs> There's something wrong with being talented and yeah, hot. So uh-huh. in, to an, that's a roundabout way of uh, answering your question. Yes, I did have to think. Okay. You know, who. But who sometimes lines up to go them. back to Tyler's thing about the. Or bringing up the discourse, as, as Kristen uh, named it, um, and, to bring, and to bring a star response. So something all three of you guys said. Sometimes the, the discourse will work because, uh, yeah, most of the conversation around a movie does seem to be kind of... Uh, Insular? Uh, or um, homogenous in a lot of ways. Monolithic? We feel this way, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then someone will use... I don't even know what this meme is from. It's the two, like... Harry motorcycle-looking dudes yelling at each other. Oh yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. I don't is, know what it's is from. that from, like American Chopper or something I think, like that. I think so. Yeah, yeah. it's like Clear the father and son. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so someone used that to make an argument that, which is how I felt about *The Star Is Born*, that the that Jackson the character disapproves of Ali's pop star phase. The movie doesn't disapprove. Uh huh. And because a lot of people are saying, mm-hmm. like, that's a knock against the movie is that it, right. it doesn't respect depiction, it. endorsement, that kind of thing. Yes. And I'm like, no, that's Jackson. I don't think the movie has a problem with her singing about yeah. how the dude's jeans ass looks in the jeans. I like this song. It's a good song. Um, and someone used that. And I was like, I get I get why memes work. I get how that you can actually use the structure for an, if you're not just plugging in random shit like Jake did. Uh, <laughs> if you're actually using the structure to make it to cut through the bullshit, the right. thing can really work. Right. And it, it, it sort of cuts through and instead of, you know, engaging in a back and forth argument with like some bot or something, you can just post a, a meme and then uh-huh. people are like, Oh yeah, that's, yeah. that's a much clearer <laughs> way to express your, your feelings. And I like, I like that you can make a point that way and it's just as valid because I think in a lot of ways Twitter and even sometimes Facebook or other social media platforms are really not the best way to engage in a conversation because I think when you're talking about the the finer points of any piece of art you want to kind of be face to face ideally you want to do that old timey old person thing where you go out to cup of coffee after a movie and talk about it, but people don't really... No, that's a, well, you come on a podcast. You come on a podcast. Yeah, right. I think that's the 21st century equivalent. But, you hop but, aboard. But, but, <laughs> but memes and, and, and kind of and communicating in gifts and just this sort of like shorthand, almost like hieroglyphic mishmash language of all these signs and signifiers for some reason sometimes seems to get at the truth of what you want to talk about yeah. mm-hmm. in, a, in a better way than just, you know, a five paragraph F- essay on Facebook where the next person gets really mad and says, you are wrong. And here's why ABCD. Right. I, 
sometimes I feel like that's not as constructive as maybe just like joking around. Yeah, like, because the uh, uh, the meme is like the blade that pierces the chainmail. Yeah, right. It actually can get through yeah. <laughs> because people are actually paying attention to the memes. Like, and not at this point, your and it's good nature. Paragraph thing needs a TLDR. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. At this point for people, like. I mean, when I saw The Revenant, I knew it was a piece of shit. Uh But what good is my tweet saying, God, that was such a piece of shit, going to do? However, I can go on Frinkiac, get a gif of uh, Jebediah Springfield wrestling a bear, <laughs> flashing reenactment, and just say The Revenant and credit it to Inyaritu, and I know that it'll do the exact same thing, and it might make a few people laugh. Yeah, I think, so. it's, I think it's more good-natured, and so I also think that that contributes to people getting less upset maybe is if you're communicating in this sort of like shared language that people have rather than right a lot of times and i'm not on facebook anymore but a lot of times when i was on facebook it would be more of like a personal screed that people would just kind of go on it's almost as though like with memes and maybe even with tweets because it is limited that there's an unspoken agreement that, okay, we all know that this is by nature reductive. Mm -hmm. So since we know that we're not going to accuse people of being reductive. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have five, if you have the option of five paragraphs and you, you instead choose to just say, you know, three sentences about why something's a piece of shit, people be like, Oh, this person's not putting enough thought into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I worry that I don't. I don't want to make this all about Twitter. The whole episode because we're going forty-five minutes. We're still talking about Twitter. Um, uh, and we talked about Jason Blum for a little bit, but that's it. Um, but I do worry that yeah, you, the four of us sitting at this table, we know that it's by nature reductive. But I do think there are people who are so entrenched in Twitter as as discourse mm-hmm. that they do forget that here's here's my comparison to that uh my experience my again limited experience as a teacher right now um i'm teaching a college class but i'm also teaching middle schoolers and i'm sure i've mentioned that uh when i have asked them like how many of them want to be filmmakers uh there are a few that very enthusiastically raise their hands and good for them uh and when i ask what are some of your favorite movies, they list YouTube channels. And so they're thinking in terms of like, not that those are movies, but they, they yeah, they're not like, movies. Right. But they, they like, like they, they like the questions. <laughs> no, but categories <laughs> but to them are yeah. more fluid because yeah. they're kind 12 of. years old. Sorry, right. It's all content now. Dave. Yeah. It's okay. yeah. I should have said, what's your favorite content? Yeah. Oh, I feel bad. Even. Well, you got to split it up. Branded, not yeah. bla- branded hashtag oh. ad, you know, um, uh, but I do feel like there's it's and and I don't necessarily I don't blame the kids for that but it's this idea it's like these they're they're watching 10 minute videos they're not seeing very many movies they they're thinking and because they're watching these videos they're thinking in terms of YouTubers and not even films and certainly not filmmakers they're thinking in terms of like the number of them that said I want to be a YouTuber again I'm not saying that's a bad thing but I think there are people uh, for whom uh, like I, I enjoy YouTube, but I also I recognize where it fits in the larger uh, conversation about visual media. Whereas for some people of a certain age or who've only been exposed to certain things, uh, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. That, that's the only thing that is part of their conversation. And along those lines, maybe something like Twitter or memes that is the furthest extent of their uh, film vocabulary. But I might be uh, overly 
simplifying there. Now I want to move on out of Twitter. I'm going to use this as a chance to do a little break here. I have two corrections that I need to issue from last week. Okay. Last week, uh, I, said, yes. I said blue sky when I meant illumination. Right. We're talking about animation studios. Yeah. You mistook uh, a, a, a bad company for a mediocre one. Uh, That's very important. <laughs> so, yeah, illumination makes the things that make my ears bleed. Blue Sky makes the movies that I forgot. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Exactly. Oh, Ferdinand. Right. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Blue Sky. I didn't mean to insult you that much. I only meant to insult you a little bit. Um, And the other thing, so speaking of your students, Mm -hmm. last week we were both like a little, uh, uh, I don't know, not bewildered, but we thought it was remarkable that your students considered Back to the Future an old movie. And I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? Back to the Future is an old movie. It's, it's, it's 30, 35, 32, 33, 33 years. 33 years yeah. It's yeah. an old movie. Yeah. It's, and that it, for me, if you're a film fan, I feel like anything pre 1940 is old. Like I'm comfortable I'm saying you, it's old. When we but were yeah, in middle school, I know like, look, if you're in middle school, back to the future is twice your age. That's an old movie. I'm talking yeah. about my college students and my middle school oh, students. Oh, I you were your middle school. No, students. my middle school students don't even know. Back it's to the it's still exists. almost twice their age. Right. Yeah, but yeah. I still think with the college students, they're right. It is old. Anything over 25 years old is now an old movie. That doesn't yeah. mean that it's less important. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's okay for us to say we don't need to hang on to you know. Yeah. I think that's. I, th- more, like, I think that's. Wedding mis- singer doesn't need to be new forever. It's it's misplaced. <laughs> it's misplaced nostalgia, <laughs> right. and and a, and a refusal to realize that we're all getting older. Yeah. I mean, Back to the Future. I watched that when I was a kid, but it came out before I was born. Do I oh. think it's an old movie? I mean, not really. But I wouldn't be upset if someone who was 19 said it was an old movie because yeah. to them it is. But see, I, if I were you, I probably wouldn't think of it as older. I think I, anything that came out before I was born, I do think of as like, right. I guess that's, it, well, that's from yeah. before. I guess it depends right. on what you're talking about in terms of old movies. Like the phrase "old movie" could really mean anything because it's old in comparison to your age. Yeah, right. When we, when you start throwing around terms like classic movie or classic Hollywood sure. movie or things like that, okay. that actually are set in a temporal space. Well, classical Hollywood movie would be set in a temporal space, not necessarily classic movies, but yeah, that's a, that's a different name for that. But I, I think this whole thing about, you know, what is an old movie and what get off my lawn and all this kind of old man yells at cloud stuff. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's a little bit like just chill out. It's fine. I, yeah, I, I don't I feel was... personally insulted or anything right. like no, that. David, while you were busy being part of the, you know, the film, the, 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 online critic society and the various things. Look, I was getting my master's in cinema and media studies from sure. UCLA. It's not a big deal. The point is, uh, when you're, when you're doing stuff like that, and now, you, a and now you're an academic as I am, but, uh, uh only one of what? us got the press release from the Israeli film. Festival. That is true. <laughs> and one of us has a master's degree from USC, clearly superior oh, to, to UCLA. Isn't go. that cute? My very first day of class at UCLA, oh, I was I was literally I so I, I walked onto <laughs> I walked onto this. campus. I'm moving on. This is yeah. facetious. Uh, I don't give a shit. Uh, I, as I, literally my first day, I walked onto campus. Is this campus. the Coppola story? It is the Coppola story. Have you heard it before? Yeah, you told that on the podcast. Which one? <laughs> I the one where you just saw him like in a van or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> van, van down the river. Down by the river. That's oh no, sorry, that was Matt Foley. <laughs> Uh, I could see him Both actually rot- living in a van, like, yeah. like on his vineyard or something like that. But 
His vineyard. It's, oh, <laughs> oh my God. All right, how long we've we been going? Because that's how we should. End. No, no, we need Coppola to talk makes about bucket stuff. wine. But no, uh, I, I do think that uh, that I it's it's I don't think it's about like age, and I and it's not a thing that I'm bitter about. Like for some reason, I think of because I've been like teaching film history, like I think of anything like from the 1960s as modern, like anything that did away with the Hayes code and features mm-hmm. like profanity features stuff that we could see in movies. Now I don't necessarily mean CGI. I mean, as far as content and story, I have a hard time thinking of that mm-hmm. as old um, because I, yeah. it's, I think know. that's, that's a great point, but I think that also as, as an educator, it's your responsibility and not just yours, but the responsibility of everyone who's in the position to teach, film history or media history to sort of make those designations Mm -hmm. and say this is modernity, we're getting into post-modernity, here's what these terms mean and how they apply to films and to let the kids realize that they're they're part of a, a historical moment just like everybody else that came before them. Yeah. And there are precedents and there is, you know, uh, history to things. The names of things are not necessarily arbitrary. A lot of them come from production histories or things like that, Mm -hmm. that you have to integrate Mm -hmm. into just, you know, this isn't black and white and this isn't color. Well, and, and that's part of the thrill of discovery when you're going through quote unquote old movies, right? Like why is this 1931 Barbara Stanwyck movie so racy? Like, right, it, mm-hmm. it, and then this, this late fifties movie is like everyone, nobody is touching each other, and it's yeah, uh, no. yeah, and that's when like those those distinctions start to start to crumble. But I I do think you kind of do need that general framework when yeah. you're yeah. When I designed my initial curriculum, I I divided like film history into four eras, and mm-hmm. it was silent, classic, modern, digital, mm-hmm. and. That and even that, it's. I feel like it's. You could probably break them up even more, but I. That is about where I felt comfortable. Like, mm-hmm. like in starting in like in the late eighties, like when the computer became a vital part, and then eventually the vital part of filmmaking. Sure. Um, I feel like yeah. that's you know. You know, uh, you're. T- I mean, you guys are talking about like more academic stuff, but you got me thinking about like just sort of like personal, like subconscious things that I like lines that I draw and I think subconsciously and I'm only really thinking about it now I feel like the steady cam <laughs> made movies mm. look so different that I do like there is a divide between like mm-hmm. the Godfather and Rocky like even sure. though they're only three years apart or whatever like Rocky's like a steady cam movie and it feels yeah. much newer to me mm-hmm. than the Godfather does and I would wonder if to um like college students or whatever digital intermediate and that sort of like digital color timing mm. it really changed the way the movies look and i'm wondering a movie that hasn't been color timed digitally to mm. an inch of its life like every movie is now yeah if it's if it's if it's like why if it's like asking someone are like or younger than us or whatever who's not into movies to watch a black and white movie it seems it must look so yeah. different but that's right? that's what i'm talking about about the naming of things and the designations of eras are based on technical technological innovations production history you know you have you know like the boom mic or the steady cam or you know matte paintings into cgi it's like these are the things that actually make movies different and move 
the kinds of movies that you're seeing forward into a new era because it's hard a lot of kids go into learning about movies thinking that it's that it's art and it is art but it's also commerce and industry yeah. and you have to teach the commerce and industry part because that's how you get the art part yeah and well, it's, it's hard to make that connection and that's a lot of what people but that's the film community too is the this the laborers, the, the people, gearheads. yeah, the gearheads, the people that <laughs> yeah, do the mics, the people that Tyler carry the lights. I, That's Tyler the film and I community. Went to, well, what Tyler did his undergrad. That's right, what exactly. you guys say. Uh, what Tyler did is okay, where I went to college. Um, that's my Midwestern. I appreciate uh, the uh, St. Louis in there. Um, is it's a film school, but it's really more of a trade school. I mean, yes. there are some like critical thinking type in history classes, but really it's a like, this is how you make a movie. Yes. They wanted to and get so, hands on experience. Yeah. And so I remember guys talking, they'd refer to themselves as like film nerds, but what they were talking about was like what, you know, kind of talking about C stands and like, uh, uh, I'm forgetting the names of things. Now, uh, the light thing you put in front of the, uh, meter the light meters yeah and 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 all like all the technical like they're yeah. essentially like like i jokingly called them gearheads but they thought of themselves as film nerds yeah. right that's interesting um, and i was just at a screening last night and it was a it was a screening for like this the society of like composers and lyricists which hmm, is uh-huh. like a just a, a guild and so we watched this what movie. did jason bone have to say <laughs> no he wasn't there uh but uh we just watched a, a regular wide release movie but everyone in the audience was a composer or a lyricist or something to do with um uh music uh rights or music supervisors something like that and so all of the post Q&A questions for the composer of the film were very technical. It was, you know, how did you mic the piano? What kind of mm. things did you do? How, how was your working relationship with the director vis-a-vis coming up with the cues? And when I think it's very illuminating to go to different guild screenings or different society screenings mm. if you have the ability to do that or even just to learn about how the people who make the movies think about how they're making the movies. Not everyone is thinking like a director, which I think sometimes is a fallacy when you as a viewer are thinking about it as a director. No. When when really mm. there are many point there are many different considerations for all of the different jobs on the movie yeah and it's a it's a good exercise and this is like a film school exercise that we did to sort of like isolate certain parts of a film like the score or the blocking or whatever and just focus on that because you can see the building blocks of how the film's put together and you can see the many different elements that maybe if you were just watching with an eye towards quote unquote the cinematography that you would miss and so when we talk about the film community i think we're I don't want to get side or I don't want to get like a narrow vision of what the aims or the focus of the film community is, because I think the society of composers and lyricists are as much a part of the film sure, community yeah. with their, their interests about how the, how the piano is mic'd than it is for someone who like really wants to have a vibrant repertory scene in Los Angeles. I think mm-hmm. like the, the passion is there in both and it's kind of a wide tent I was going to ask about that, and whether it be on Twitter or otherwise. Like, and when we talk about the community, I instinctively think in terms of watchers and commentators, mm-hmm. as opposed to contributors. Mm-hmm. You know, w- whether they be directors or writers or actors or whatever. Um, as far as the as far as you guys who are more involved. Does the is the community big enough to incorporate that, or does or does does the involvement of 
directors who might take comments personally or whatever it is, um, does that chain, is that a different type of community than, than the one we're talking about? I mean, I think there's intersections on film Twitter. Mm-hmm. There are filmmakers on film Twitter that are that are a part of it. Writers, mm-hmm. directors, producers, things like that. A lot of those people maybe have dabbled in criticism themselves, mm-hmm. and so there's kind of an overlap there. I think it is a little dangerous, if, especially if you're a if you're a critic and that's what you do is your job to be familiar with filmmakers because I think yeah. that there's there's always the I don't know you you can fall into traps that way. And uh, but I also think that people in the industry are usually too busy making whatever it is they're making to really engage with whatever is going on, whatever the newest release is. Yeah. But there is, I think there is some overlap and a lot of people that work in the industry are cinephiles. Mm-hmm. It's just, they're, you know, they're doing other things. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely see uh, friends of mine who are filmmakers, you know, at repertory cinema screenings, but they're usually there, you know, they're there on their nights off when they're not shooting. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a different kind of lifestyle if you're a writer rather than if you're a, a person in production. Well, I also think uh, it, uh, we're back at Twitter again, but sorry, I, I think the there are filmmakers who participate in Twitter or in just the general sort of like online film community mm-hmm. who are actually just participating as part of the community. I think Sean, Sean Baker mm-hmm. uh, is someone that I, I read his letterbox reviews. Like I like yeah. him, but then I think there's also a lot of people who get on Twitter because they think like, all right, this is the me show now. Like right. I'm on Twitter. Let's, let's give them a thrill th- or something uh, like yeah, that. Yeah. That sort of thing. And I, I hate, I don't like that because Tyler and I used to be part of a, uh, an online comedy nerd community that had a oh, yeah. certain message board that I loved for comedy fans. And there were certain comedians who would post regularly on there. And some of them were great. And some of them were treating it like it was their fan site, mm-hmm. and it would always drive me crazy. I think you can tell when it's disingenuous and when it comes from a place of sincerity. And the fact that you will see Sean Baker around town just going mm-hmm. to movies, I think, is a testament to that. You'll see Edgar Wright going to movies. You know, you'll see these guys mm-hmm. if you if you live in L.A. It's yeah. like you know, you can tell when they're just here to watch a movie, yeah. not to promote whatever they have coming up. Yeah. I was, uh, well, this is months ago now, but I texted Jake that uh, Bogdanovich was behind me in line <laughs> for an Ernst Lubitsch movie at the Billy Wilder. We, we uh, all have a Bogdanovich story. Actually, yeah. I have a story from AFI Fest a couple years ago. I was in line and I had my bag from um, one of the TCM fests and it was a bag that had the list, a list of all these movie titles that had played at, at TCM that year. And one of them was, uh, one of them was stagecoach and the woman, the woman in front of me in line, we had been talking cause this was like a gala screening or so we're in line for like 90 minutes. So we're just talking about whatever. And then she was like, Oh, I see your, your bag. You know, my dad made a documentary about that. And I was like, Oh, about which one? And she was like, Oh, about, about the director of that movie. And I'm like, John Ford. <laughs> and I'm like, your dad made a documentary about John Ford. And then in my mind, I started to kind of implode because I realized that I had been talking to Peter Bogdanovich's daughter Hmm. for like 90 minutes. (laughs) And then I immediately became a creep and I was like, should I say... I know who your dad is and I'm a big fan. No, I shouldn't say that. So I just like pretended to be like a real person. And then, and then, you know, it was just like really, a really weird LA thing. Cause she thinks I'm 
like a regular person that maybe just likes <laughs> movies to a normal extent uh-huh. and not, you know, wants to make a bunch of, I would just wanted to make a bunch of ascot jokes or like, yeah. where's oh, your dad now? Yeah. Like, is he going to come and see this movie? Like, or, can we hang more out? More importantly, is your mother Polly Platt? Because that is also so awesome. <laughs> it's true. And I didn't ask, but I assume yes. yes. Um, uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. But that's you, you know, if you're in line at a festival, you literally do not know who you're in line with in LA. So you better watch it. <laughs> um, my favorite story of, uh, which listeners have heard before, but I love it about uh, cinema going in Los Angeles and the weird things that happened. I was at, this was over just like 11, 12 years ago. Uh, the Egyptian was doing a triple feature of hammer horror films that you've never heard of. They're not, they're the like weird one-off like that are tend to be like a little grittier and, and uh, nastier. And it was a really great day of a triple feature. And they didn't have anyone to interrupt, to, inter- to introduce the movies, but Joe Dante was there and he was like, and he, I guess he said to them, he's like, Oh, you don't have anyone to introduce this? I know all about these movies. And so yeah. in between each movie, Joe Dante just stood up and talked to us about it. It's fucking great. It's like, Hey, my name's Joe. I'm going to talk about these movies. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, when friend of the show Jason Egan and I went and saw uh, Crimson Peak uh, at the NoHo Seven, uh, Jim Beaver was in the audience. Hey. He was in the movie, and uh, and so afterwards, we're just like looking at him. It's like the fuck? What's he doing here? Like, could he not make the premiere or something? Or I don't know what's going on. It was very strange. He wanted to see it twice. Yeah, maybe he just loved it and like wanted. And he was there with his family, so maybe he wanted them to see it or something like that. But it was it was very nice, and so we. He's like, eh, yeah, sure, what the hell. So we went up and said that we, oh. were, we really liked him in the movie oh. and that we loved Deadwood. I'll, Did you guys read that AV Club sweet. interview with Jim Beaver? Hmm. Is that Random Rolls with him? Yeah. Yes. It's so great because he talks about, like, because Game of the Thorns, like, was like a huge Deadwood fan, and that's how he got the role. And, like, at the table read, he could hear at the end of the table, didn't realize he could hear him, Tom Hiddleston being like, Hey, Guillermo, who, who is this? And then Guillermo de Toro was like, you haven't seen Deadwood? <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. And then, it, then the DVD box that appeared in Tom Hiddleston's trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's Guillermo de Toro loudly telling Tom Hiddleston and Mia Vashikovska what a great actor Jim Beaver is. That's fucking awesome. I mean, it's not by, wrong. By the way, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the fact that, ne- that, that the Deadwood movie is happening is like, we'll so we've got, exactly. <laughs> it's the new other side of the wind for, for me. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll believe it when I see yeah. it. Okay, let's get back into, so, so now I want to talk about, which is more about the IRL community. Yes, mm-hmm. let's go there. Because I, uh, I, th- I think this is where my, distrust comes from or not distrust my lack of trust which is not the same thing uh in communities because i (laughs) i I I don't actively distrust yeah yeah i just don't have a lot of you inactively distrust (laughs) yeah i don't put a lot of stock in most other people's opinions about about movies and part of it is because i didn't like i didn't get into movies because i had an older sibling who was in movies or like wasn't me and my friends sitting around talking about movies like I got into movies because I was a lonely kid who didn't have any friends and I you know occasionally would and you want to preserve that (laughs) yeah I would occasionally drag don't kill that little lonely child um but I would occasionally drag people to see uh, a movie but if that was it wasn't like I had a friend who was like wanted to go to see an Antonio Antonio movie that was playing at Webster University I would tell him and he would Mm -hmm. say "Eh, I guess that's what we're doing on Friday night so like I didn't really, until I met Tyler, I didn't really have a friend that I talked movies with. And even then, for the first year or two that Tyler and I knew each other, we only saw each other once every few months. Yeah. Um, uh, And so I've never really... Jake, why? Why? Why did we only see each other every few months? 
I just want to see <laughs> how much of a fan you are, since you're going to throw my yeah. fucking stories back. Yeah, the Coppola story. Yeah. Uh, because you lived in different places, and there yeah, was like that's theater. Yeah, it was a theater, theater. thing. We had rehearsals. I'll, I'll he was that. he was he was backstage. You were on stage. That's right. All right, you do. You got a second wow. best actor. What are you a stalker? How do you know all this? <laughs> I've I've been listening to this podcast since I was like 13 years old. First off, <laughs> that's disgusting. First of all, okay. Get well, out. Now, get out of now my. Now I'm insulted. No, no, no. It's disgusting how young he is. Oh yes, no, absolutely. No, I, we're all dis- we all hate you. Well, yeah, fuck this kid. No, yeah. 14, um, 14 years. Old. Oh but, my god. Uh, oh, so much better. But no, and look the the play that I won Best Actor State of Missouri uh, in the year 2004 was not Bus Stop. That was just the state show, and that and David being a part of that was also a big honor. Uh-huh. I'm saying, you know, you, there was no better sound man in the state. Well, there was at least one better. Oh, right. <laughs> Jeff. Oh, Jeff. We all knew you did the work. Um, but I'm... Jeff didn't accidentally play Tom Waits instead of Theater, also a community. That's true, yes. Okay. um, What were we talking about? We were talking about how I, to this day, have very few friends that I I see regularly that I talk about movies with. Let's talk about that, because what you were describing your childhood, I think, is a very common childhood for people that grow up to be cinephiles. Uh Um, So where did those people make the break, make the jump to actually having friends? I, Well, well, they find each other on the interwebs. Am I wrong? I mean... I, sorry, I had friends growing up. Uh Yeah, well, fuck you. I, you know... I I would, I mean, I wouldn't force them to watch movies, but, like, part of... What I also kind of get from the film community is just being able to say, even to someone who may or may not be interested, oh my god, I just saw this great movie. Yeah, that you know, I never and, thought I'd be able to see. And, yeah, I'm looking at Tyler's collection. Yeah. I mean, I also am someone who's really into physical media, so for me, it came from, like, part of my cinephilia growing up was, all right, I have, like, six friends over, I'm gonna go through my collection and be like here are five movies that we can pick from what do you guys want to what do you guys want to throw on yeah. mm-hmm. i mean so i think so you were the you were the introducer you were the person i yeah i i very much liked to be the the curator oh yeah um, would you say you like to hold court are you a court holder i've, I've held court he's a bit of a court holder <laughs> yeah, would, if i can say so would you say that because i i also had friends but i do think that there is in my experience <laughs> let me be clear I have also had friends yeah don't, I'm not like I'm sorry we're gonna go here. in the we're, yeah, we're I'm sorry, table sorry, over can here. the court reporter read that back <laughs> but I do think I do think that regardless of like if you were a lonely kid mm-hmm. or if you had friends the love of film does does eventually isolate but not yes. not in a bad way because my friends liked going to movies. I liked going to movies. And then there came a moment when I realized, when I realized and they realized that like, Oh, okay. I like this more than they do. Right. And the, and the stuff I like is different than what they like. Did and you read uh, Mindy Kaling's book? Is everyone hanging out without me? Mm-hmm. You guys? No, I didn't. That, she has a moment about that, like about being a comedy person sure. because movies and comedy are things that everyone likes. Right. And I, so people I, realize it, it, only certain people realize at a certain point, like I like this more than other. Right. I think it's like when you start 
going to things by yourself. And I don't know if since you were a lonely kid, but I've been going to movies by myself like since basically since I was 13 because I would see all the PG-13 movies. I wasn't able to go until I had to. Uh, uh, I would, I, I would, uh, honestly, I, I, I would walk to the theater if it was close enough or, uh, I'd get a ride. Um, my parents would drop me off. Um, or, you know, but I, I just, you know, I started, I had a little bit of money and I wanted to go see the films that were up for Oscars, which were mostly PG 13 movies. Cause I was pretentious and 13 mm-hmm. and I just started going by myself and it was like never yeah. a weird, I mean, I knew it was like weird societally but i didn't feel weird about it i was just like this is what i want to do and if there's nobody that wants to go with me it's like that's fine um but But obviously from a young age it's like okay i get it like there aren't like i'm not going to the mall to go to a movie like with my girlfriends Uh you know what i mean i'm going to see like a beautiful mind by myself with i think the 70 year olds tapped into something for me personally, which is why yeah. I am not as precious about the theatrical movie going experience as mm-hmm. a lot of cinephiles mm-hmm. because I couldn't walk. There was a movie theater, a theater I could walk to. I couldn't get it right. I was one of four kids. My parents had mm-hmm. other shit to do. <laughs> right. to take me just me to the movies. That just wasn't a economical use of their time. And so I fell in love with movies on VHS in the basement. Cause yeah. I would get my mom to grab something from the grocery store video counter or yeah. go to the grocery store with her and pick something out. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that was the, that that's, that's the, uh, the, the, the green light I'm trying to get <laughs> to steer my boat toward is <laughs> to get back to being alone in the basement, the, watching, uh, who's Harry Crumb on VHS. Yeah. The basement Jaws too. Mm-hmm. in Denver, we had an unfinished basement, but we still had like a couch and a TV down there. Yeah. And, you know, when I think of my own cinephilia, I do think of it as a lonely thing. I think of me as a 15 year old watching all the president's men Mm -hmm, alone in my unfinished basement. I mean like, no, in retrospect, it's like, how did I have friends? If this is, if if this for me was a fun activity. um, Kristen's Angelina. Do we need to explain what a basement is? No, I actually, I know what a basement is, but I'm I'm just, I just surrounded by uh, Midwesterners or uh, whatever it is. It is interesting because Mm. it's not like I I mean, please, Okay, (laughs) whatever the preferred appellation is, it's it's fine. Um, But I mean, I did. You call me an appellation? No, appellation. I'm joking. Oh, oh, what a funny man you are. Um, (laughs) I mean, we did go we did go to Blockbuster and stuff like that. But I'm from I'm from the suburbs. It's not like I'm from Bollywood or anything like that. I'm from the suburbs of Southern California. So we went we went to Blockbuster. I had a little tiny. My mom let me have a little tiny TV with a DVD VCR player, which in high school I would just watch. DVDs like all night mm-hmm. alone in my room. Basically, I watched for some reason I watched the Orson Welles Othello. I really don't oh. know why. I got that from the library. I think. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, we were big library That's goers really, when I was yeah. when I was a little kid. And then once I got older, I realized, oh, I can get movies from the library. I yeah, definitely do that. And then, um, so I had my own room, and and I was just, or I would just watch DVDs on my on my laptop. Like that's how I watched, uh, uh, you know, TV on DVD. You know, mm-hmm. that's how I watched uh, Deadwood and a mm-hmm. lot of other, yeah. a lot of other television shows. And it was, it, it is. So it, I think for me growing up, it was partly going outside on my own to see movies in theaters, but also just watching at home, or I'd watch with my siblings, or I'd make them watch it with me, or I would make. Uh, people in my high school class watch movies with me. Like we took a, I took a a, a movie class uh, junior year, 
which was basically just, you know, like a write-off class that people mm-hmm. would sleep through. Um, <laughs> but I, I made my friends watch Butch Cassidy and the Saint Nets Kid with me because we were writing a paper on it and they had fallen asleep during the movie when we were in class. And I said, oh, it's okay. I'll get, I'll, I'll bring my copy. <laughs> and so we went over to my friend's house and I was like, guys, this is actually a really good movie and you'll actually really love it. And they just all fell asleep. And I just watched it again by myself because it was so good. And I was trying to get these people that I really loved in my life to like understand uh-huh. that this is something that's great and they can share mm-hmm. it too, but they just like weren't there, but it's fine. You know, I, I didn't have a film class in, in my high school, mm. but I did have a, a junior year AP lit, I think, mm-hmm. or AP language. I can't remember what it was. Uh, we had a group assignment, which was to read a book and watch the movie adaptation and do mm. a compare and contrast. Right. Uh, I honestly don't remember which movie I did. What I do remember is there was a group of girls that I knew who were having trouble fi- picking a movie, and I was like, have you ever heard of a book or a movie called Wild at Heart? <laughs> <laughs> so wow. They actually ended up doing Wild at Heart. Oh, my Lord. And again, I went to them. Spicy. They didn't need, like, parental Heart. consent <laughs> we're, for this? I mean, we're, we're juniors. Yeah. Uh, all right, all right. The other thing I remember, I still remember what movie I did, but the other thing I remember about that class, and we'll move on, this has nothing to do with that topic, but it's a funny story. It was well known in my school that my teacher uh, of that class had gone to college with and briefly dated Brad Pitt because Brad Pitt went Holy to college. Holy moly. He grew up in Missouri. He went to college at Mizzou uh, in, in, in Columbia, Missouri. Another Heartlander. Uh, yeah, another Heartlander. Um, and someone did A River Runs Through It. And so they're showing clips as part of their presentation, and Mrs. Mrs. Harmon like looks around and realizes that the entire class is just kind of like looking at her. <laughs> she was like, she was like, it was like two dates, and he wasn't as good looking back then. Uh, but that's uh, another memory from can the class. I, can I just tell one story about Please. that? Doesn't really have to do, uh, doesn't connect to your story at all. But you just reminded me of it. Uh, Mrs. Roush, a science teacher that I had my senior year of high school. Uh, she could basically get away with anything she wanted because at one point she was actually fired for no good reason and had to sue to get her job back. Anyways, she could do whatever she wanted. She decided she wanted uh, to teach this class called Social Implications of Biology, and in that she would often show a lot of movies, one of which was forever young with Mel Gibson about (laughs) cryogenic freezing. And uh, as you may remember, there is a shot of Mel Gibson from behind. It is a wide shot. So you are getting a full view of Mel Gibson. Mrs. Roush decides to pause on that frame, leave it up there for a while and remark, damn, look at that. You bounce a quarter off those buns and then just press play and let it settle over the room. That is no way to watch a movie. Yeah. Yeah. She, I I would say she's not a part of the cinephile community. No, Uh, she's got her own thing going. (laughs) Good good for her though. Mrs. Roush was a badass, and I hope she's doing well. Uh, Do you know, I broke my own, not talking during a movie role. (laughs) The old man and the gun with my wife. And there's a part when a newscaster says, I think it's safe to say for now, the Over the Hill gang is retired. And I very quietly to my wife said, good one. (laughs) (laughs) You're allowed one every few years. I think you got it. Um, I did actually, uh, all this talk of Los Angeles and the heartland and that kind of thing. And by the way, I'm 
actually from California originally. Let's not forget that. Coastal elite. I, I, I am from the heartland of California, which is middle California. Where are you like, from? Uh, outside of Bakersfield. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yes. Taft. Hell itself. Taft, Taft California. Yeah. Uh, formerly named, quite literally, Moron. That was its original <laughs> name. Oh, yes. I think I've heard of this yeah. place. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I did have the question, as far as like being a film fan and then finding, you know, the, the kindred spirit in real life. I wonder how many people have had that happen who have not moved to a big city or a city at all. Like I feel like if you are, if you live in a, in a smaller town and you love movies now because of streaming and stuff, you can find great movies uh you probably can't see them you're probably not going to see them in a theater but you can find them but then how on earth are you going to find like-minded people in that situation and so i i do find myself wondering like how many genuine movie fans like cinephiles how many of them if they live in a small town how many of them stay there uh and i don't know if i don't know it this is something where i feel like the listeners are going to have to weigh in like how many of you yeah and also, I mean, this might be the exception to rule, but um, film critic Noel Murray in mm-hmm. small town Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, good for him. Well, <laughs> um, I mean, I think you are hitting on something that is often talked about within the broader online film community, which is which are questions of access, mm-hmm. questions of sort of uh, certain regions. Um, having again yeah. access to yeah, I think to like geographic privilege yeah. is something that's talked in, in a wider conversation of certain privileges, which is why I mean things like Filmstruck were kind of. I mean, it's not dead yet. It's still it's still going. I, well, yes. right. yeah. But, but what do we think? Do we think Filmstruck, Fandor, movie, any yeah. streaming service? In addition, movie the sponsor. Yeah, movie yeah. the sponsor. Um, in, you, in addition to uh, in addition to physical media is the way that people who live in non-urban centers and I don't mean to I don't want to be condescending towards that because most people don't live in urban centers but it's just that's how they they have their collection and I feel personally I don't have a, a physical media collection but also I live in Los Angeles so I've decided because of my my privilege to prioritize movie going in person. Mm. Um, because I have the means to do so, but most people do not have yeah. the means to do that. Um, so it is, I think, a very, very relevant question of who is a member of the community because how do we define the community? Is it defined by the spaces? Is it defined by the experience? Is it defined by people who have a collection of physical media? I mean, I think we have to paint, I think we have to bring people under that big tent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in order to have the conversations because not everybody has the means. And, you know, you get into that conversation as well with, um, with, uh, torrenting and, and things and things of that nature is, is who has access and who is in control of that access, which is another thing when there are corporate, uh, yeah. cor- cor- corporate ownership of, of art, uh, who yeah. owns art and who is allowed to have access to that community. Yeah, that's uh, I generally don't. Well, no, I don't torrent at all. I did. I have. It's been a long time. You wouldn't download a car. But I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I also don't lecture for that reason. Mm-hmm. But it's there's an ongoing debate between me and my wife because we 
full disclosure on the podcast, we don't pay for HBO. We use someone else's HBO Go uh, password, and I feel bad about it because I'm like, I like these shows. I want to support right. them, even though I know that only a very small fraction is going getting anywhere near them. And I can't. I have the money to do this. Right. I could just, you know, buy one pack less of cigarettes a month and I'd be fine. Um, uh, and my wife is like, fuck him. <laughs> because, because she's much more anti-corporate than, than I, even than I am, which is saying something. David, here's uh, the way I look at it. If you watch something on HBO, you talk about it right here. And this is worth way more than your money. All right, you're oh, talking okay. about these shows. That's okay. how I justify my own instances yeah. of this. All right, so welcome to this week's The Deuce Corner. <laughs> <laughs> you're, a, you're, a, you're an influencer, uh, David. That's right. <laughs> you get paid in influence. Yeah. Your, your uh, contribution. Sure. All right. Um, where, okay, so I think that, I mean, that we, we've, gotten, we've gone kind of full circle here and actually talking about how uh, the uh, going back to talk about how the Internet uh, can aid the community as opposed to just making it more toxic, mm. uh, which is sometimes my experience. Um, I do want I do want to ask, I, I know we joked, we've joked about Filmstruck a lot. What do you guys think is going to happen to the library? Is it going to, is, is it just going to end up on a Warner streaming service? Uh, it, are we like flipping out for something that we're just going to lose access to for a few months and then it's going to come back somewhere? Or is it really going to not be anymore? I, to me, it just seems like the logistics of being able to move over something that extensive mm-hmm. seems really unlikely. I mean, in terms of just having it be, say, a channel on the larger Warner streaming, whatever it may be, I think what you'll see is you might see a selection of Criterion, a selection of TCM, and kind of everything, everything that sort of made Filmstruck special, mm-hmm. really, like the the level of curation and the level of how deep you could go into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they're going to move it over because I don't think again, I, I agree with your wife fuck them because <laughs> they can just pull the plug at any moment Yeah. and what recourse do you have other than clicking on a change.org petition which you should all do but I mean uh, people should sign that Yeah. Um, uh, because um, it, it, people will read it so yeah. I think, I think yeah. that you have to do everything that you can. I did, I did sign it, but I also want to say, I also like give money to the Trevor project and Southern poverty law center. I don't want to sound like I'm yeah. in this privileged bubble where I'm like, this is the one thing that no, I'm, no, no, I'm I, being I, an I, yeah. about. Like, I, no, I mean, I think just in the discussion of the film community is particularly relevant yeah. right now. And in terms of being a community member, if you, if you consider yourself that what actually can you do? Um, movie theaters closed down. Mm-hmm. Can't do anything about that. Yeah. Streaming services closed down. What can you do? It's something that was in your life that is out of your control and is now not in your life. So I think it's important for people to feel that they they can do something about it. Yeah, uh, it's I keep meaning to sign the petition, but I get so wrapped up in one of the thirty great films on Mubi all the time that I just slips my mind. I'm joking, of course. Talk about corporate interest. Exactly. Folks. Yeah. yeah. You don't get more corporate than movie. Um, but no, it's, uh, it is something that, um, 
and I didn't even I didn't even have Filmstruck, but even I understood the importance of what it was doing as far as having so deep a catalog because going back to that discussion of like what makes a classic movie well according to netflix any number of things movies that came out 15 years ago you know or or maybe not that but like 20 years ago are considered classics and movies that are actually like older whether we say they're old or not i mean it can't be found there and there really isn't anything on who like the more sort of mainstream like you know corporate uh streaming services uh, classic cinema doesn't and international cinema doesn't really exist amazon has a ton of stuff but that's a whole other ball of wax because they're evil too yeah and also amazon unlike filmstruck does not care about the image quality and sound quality yeah. Yeah. And, and the aspect ratio which yeah. is a huge on HBO as well H- yeah. HBO Hulu Amazon Prime calling your asses out I could not find John Grisham's The Rainmaker in the right aspect ratio on any of them uh, it's a shame there's a difference between the I mean I just because I, because the industry I work in I know Amazon is just putting up what they're given <laughs> with Netflix whereas with HBO and your premium channels like that, they're demanding the 178 mm-hmm. uh, full frame. Yeah. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, be angry at them. But if the movie that you want to see in its uh, in its original aspect ratio isn't available on Netflix or Amazon, be mad at the content provider, not at the streaming service. Right. That's the problem is that all these streaming services have more or less pivoted to original content mm-hmm. in the past mm-hmm. couple of years. And that's, you know, you used to be able to find movies on netflix you have to be able to get movies from netflix you still can't get the discs um but and that's why something like filmstruck had to be created is because those the the places where those films used to be or they were only there in parts and so there was this kind of panic among classic film fans because it's how are you supposed to have access to these movies and it seemed like a little bit of a miracle that that filmstruck was able to get the entire criterion and and put up all their own original content and i think that's why it's hitting people so hard is because it seemed like the solution to a problem and now it's another problem i i could see the criterion collection as a singular unit moving to another streaming service because it does have name recognition among certain people. And I'm sure Hulu was kicking themselves when they lost it to Filmstruck. Um, but I feel like I don't think Netflix would care, but I could see some other streaming service trying yeah. to snatch it up because it adds an element of prestige and there, and they would know that there's a lot of people that would probably sign up for that streaming service solely for access to the criterion collection. It, it's true, but the logistics of that are very, okay. very mm-hmm. difficult. I mean, Filmstruck was in the works for years before yeah. they were launched and the, the launch was a soft launch for a long time while they were mm-hmm. waiting to get on access to different kinds of platforms and it was really just starting to get going in terms of people actually being able to watch these films and in terms of the amount and variety of films that they were getting were really just starting to get going the past four five six months and so i think it being shuttered feels premature to a lot of people because Mm -hmm. they were not fully up and running as soon Mm -hmm. as they launched there were many things that they still had to work out um and so I think that's that's part of the reason that people are so upset. It didn't seem to be given any time to really find its 
its audience. Mm-hmm. I forget was was there a specific reason given? Like it wasn't they couldn't afford it, or no, there what? was. I think they took some learning lessons. It was uh, it was their statement was corporate BS. It yeah, was okay. basically like were there was no reason said for them shutting down, but basically they were like going to take the lessons that they learned from Stormstruck into like other content creation I mean, some bullshit my, I, my sense of the the, uh, the fallout afterward was just they kind of looked at a ledger saw yeah. a big red number right yeah, so, yeah they were just they're just they're just that? they're just making they're just making cuts it's yeah. just an accountant saying this is not being as profitable as it needs to be and we're gonna yeah. we're gonna kill it yeah which is what happens when AT&T buys everything mm-hmm. yeah right. You know, it's. I mean, right. now well, no, I'm just no. sad. <laughs> yes, this was a fun episode. It ended on a very sad note. Well, we could have been talking about a lot sadder things. That's so true. I'm yeah. glad. True. I'm glad that we uh, at least we got to talk about how great Filmstruck was yes. for a while. In the meantime, if you live in a city in which your library card gets you canopy, you should be have you should have canopy. Absolutely, that's a good one. And and uh, actually just. Go to your local library. Definitely. Yes. If you don't have a library card, you should get a library card. If your DVD player doesn't work, fix it. Um, and go to the library and get as many free DVDs as you can. Uh-huh. It rules. It's so good. It's the best. Uh, and there is there yeah, are local video uh, rental places in yeah. Los Angeles as well. But I live I, I, now. I, yeah, when I was a kid, I couldn't walk to the movies. Now I can walk to a movie theater and a library. Yeah. From my apartment. Yeah. That's live in great. the dream. Yeah. No Hollywood, baby. <laughs> no hope. I mean, you know, we have that in Pasadena, too. Not, and I can take the Metro to Videotech, which is in Ooh. South Pasadena, and uh, rent physical movies. So shout out to Videotech. All right. Now, real shout quick. Shout out to Cinephile. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there is a video store in my area. It's on uh, Woodman and van owen i believe i think it's called star video okay um and it opened uh, like it's not like it stayed open it opened like three years ago it opened after all these other ones closed and and it's it's going strong yeah Yeah, support your local video store support your local library don't despair yeah and if you are in uh, i guess a community that's not an urban center uh organize you know try try to see if there is a community out there or just if there are like three other nerds in your Mm -hmm. town form a cine club and screen movies in your basement definitely yeah and you can and actually you can probably work because you know even the smallest town has a library and they probably they might Mm -hmm. have a way to project like you could yeah work something out with with that as well yeah it's fun yeah Guys, let's all move. Let's let's, let's all move to Arkansas with no ooh, hurry and start. The I club. don't like humidity, David. <laughs> no offense, I'm 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 not going anywhere uh, east of the Mississippi. Is that east of the Mississippi? No, that's west of the Mississippi. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere east of California. <laughs> there we go. I'm not leaving Los Angeles ever. Um, that's too bad. Coastal. No, it really is. That this is a great city. Oh, it is. But I've, and there, the rest of the country is a nightmare. Um, <laughs> Well, sorry. That's... No offense. Actually, yes, offense. I mean, Chicago's pretty good. It's a little, a little violent right now, but beyond that, let me tell you a little place called Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> that's right. Nope. <laughs> a little hole in the wall. The city that never sleeps. Oh, that's no, nope. Well, nope. That's not the one. Actually, no, that's a no it's not. Are you sure? I, also, I think so. Okay. Las Vegas is like an aggressively like normal city. It just it's like Scottsdale. Yes. But there's like a hole to hell. hell in the, <laughs> yes. the little portal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, 
You guys, thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us back. Uh, you guys at home, you can find us at BattleshipRetention.com. You can uh, email us at David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow us on Twitter if you're a part of film Twitter. If you're not, uh, at Davey Pretension or at Tyler Pretension. I'm sorry. Uh, Tyler, your other podcast is called More Than One Lesson. That's correct. And uh, this week... Um what with uh, developments in my teaching career, and by the way, I did want to when I when I brag about like my masters, and when my I brag about being an academic. Let me specify: I'm an adjunct instructor at the at the, the brand, brand college. All right, more brand. Yeah. <laughs> so I just what I'm saying is, yeah. You should take me seriously. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, and so with with uh, recent developments uh, as far as what next semester uh, what next semester is going to bring, um, uh, I did an episode about uh, my uh, experience at UCLA and being a teacher and that kind of thing, and how exciting it's been. And and so you can find and yes. I do tell the Coppola story, which is why it's in my mind right now, because I recorded it last okay, night. But okay. anyway, keep telling yourself that. Uh, where will find you guys if they're allowed to on um, the Internet? Jake, Jake you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I guess you can request to follow me uh, on Twitter at FilmBart. Because oh, my account is currently locked. You're locked because yeah. you got a big boy job. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm I, in the club. He let I, me. Okay. I Yeah, for some reason. I, yeah. Too. Oh, I just, I followed you during the podcast. Don't worry. You should have gotten a notification because I'm a big, because I'm a big deal. No. Um, yeah, I used to be sales on film. Now I'm sales off film, but Whoa. that's, it's sales underscore off underscore film, but don't follow me because I really don't talk about movies. I don't, you can't access me. Just let just it text me if you know me. Otherwise don't, don't talk to me. Sounds great. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.